Good morning. Welcome back. If you're just joining us today, we're so thankful to have you with us in our live stream. Today, we're going to be in Jonah chapter 3. Um, if you didn't see last week's message, you can find it on YouTube or on Facebook and our, and our pages there. Uh, but, but just to recap very quickly, it was called Searching for Answers. Uh, we spent a lot of time in Jonah chapter 1, specifically learning from the sailors, these pagan sailors that Jonah interacts with. We learned three things from them as they kind of approached this storm that they were caught in the middle of. Excuse me. That when we, when we are caught in the middle of a storm, the first thing we need to do is approach God. Uh, the second thing we need to do is to get rid of whatever's weighing us down. And the third thing is that we need to recognize and rejoice on the journey that God has put us on. Emphasis on the journey. And these three things, um, out of context, don't make much sense. Please go back and, and give that a look if you didn't last week. But it is just a reminder that not just in the storms, but also in the good times, we need to be searching for answers. God, what are you calling me to do? Why is this happening to me at this moment? Uh, today we're going to be in Jonah chapter 3, uh, so I'm going to read um, all of Jonah chapter 3, so if you'd like to follow along, uh, that's where we'll be. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued to Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent with compassion and turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So you could take Jonah chapter 3 and 4, and if you were to get rid of chapters 1 and 2, it would be kind of like a normal prophetic journey, right? We have a prophet. We have a message from God. The prophet hears the message. He goes and he delivers the message, and the people respond to it. Um, but we don't have the ability to get rid of chapters 1 and 2. We have to read this in context. And we see just how far Jonah has come to get to the point where he is now. And it's truly incredible. It is truly incredible. This sermon is titled, Nineveh Repents, because they hear this message and they turn from their evil ways. In our first uh, lesson two Sundays ago, we talked about just how evil this city was. Right? They were beheading people. They were impaling people. Who knows what other things they were doing to their enemies. Right? They were not good people to be around. But they hear the message from God and they repent. This is strange. Okay, And if you're Jonah, 
you have to be thinking on this day-long journey as you're walking through the city, as you don't want to be there, you're thinking through all the things that possibly could happen to you in the process. Okay, the first thing that obviously, maybe this is the best case scenario for Jonah, maybe at the very least, the people of Nineveh will enslave him. That sounds awful. It is awful. But maybe in his mind, you know what? They might make me a slave. He'll suffer a long time, but at least he won't be murdered. And I guess the worst case scenario for Jonah is the types of murder that I mentioned before that the Ninevites were kind of known for. And I just couldn't imagine having the, the, um, the time, right? As you're walking through the city, as you are seeing people and you're thinking all these things. It really puts things, I guess, in context. But I guess that's what could have happened. That's what's going through his mind. It's the opposite of what actually happened, right? What did happen, the people heard and they repented. The king heard and he repented. And God looked down and he relented. Unintentional rhyming. It's in the Bible. I didn't make that up. Okay. God relented. This is all you know, opposite day, it seems like, for, for Jonah. If I'm Jonah in this situation, I'm thinking, this has got to be a dream. And we know that in, in actually, in Jonah chapter 4, he says, you know, I knew you were going to do this, right? In, in uh, chapter 4, verse 2, I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, that you were going to relent from sending calamity. He says that very bitterly, but I'm sure that he also did not expect himself to walk out of there just free of harm. But God does something completely unexpected. And as I was studying and as I was kind of just reading and reading and reading over this, I kept asking myself the question, why? Why do these people repent the way they do? You know, I'm thinking about different times in scripture where, where people would preach. I think about, you know, Jesus. He would preach and he would have lots of people following him. But he would also have a lot of people wanting to murder him, right? The chief priests, the scribes, they're always trying to find ways to murder Jesus. That's always happening, right? I think about Pentecost where the apostles are preaching and all of these people, they come in here and they respond to this message and, and they repent. And Jonah's kind of similar to both those things, but in both of those other ones where I talk about Jesus preaching and the apostles preaching, you can definitely tell, okay, the people heard those messages and they responded because of the words that were said, the way they were said, the way they were communicated. The way I read what Jonah did here, I don't get the same feeling. I don't get the same feeling that, you know, that I get from when I hear about Jesus preaching or when the apostles preached. This guy says like eight words, okay? Maybe he said more that we don't have recorded, but he says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And at that, an entire city repents, a king repents and forces a fast on not only all the people, but all the livestock. That's insane. And I kept asking myself the question, why do these people repent? The first realization I came to is it's probably not because of Jonah. Okay, it's probably not his, you know, go get him attitude. There's nothing that leads me to believe that, right? You know, it says it's three days journey into the city of Nineveh. He walks a single day. I mean, he doesn't even get to the middle of town. Who knows how it was actually set up? Maybe he was in the largest 
But I don't know. I think we're supposed to read that he didn't even go to the biggest part of town, right? And he says just a few words. It seems like his attitude, his passion, his fire is not there. I don't think it really has anything to do with Jonah. So why do the people respond the way that they do? I think that the only way, there's a couple of things. First thing is people are complex. And I say complex on purpose because I think this word encapsulates so much. Sometimes we use the word complicated. I don't like that word. Complicated means it's, it's unfixable. It's too complicated. That's what they always say. It's too complicated. But when you think of a watch, you think of, excuse me, of an engine. Those are complex, but people can understand them. You have engineers, you have mechanics, you have watchmakers who know exactly what cogs need to go, what gears need to do. And if you look at a clock, if you look at an engine, you say, wow, that's really a lot. But it's understandable. A lot of things working together, complex. That is how people are. People are complex, but they can be understood. And the reason why I say that people are complex is that you never know how someone is going to react when you speak to them. When you, especially when you speak truth to them. Thinking about it from a faith perspective, you never know how someone's going to respond when you speak to them about your faith. And I will be the first to say, I'm a minister and I struggle with this very thing. Part of it is a little bit of, you know, I don't, I don't want to come across as being a, as a holy man, right? I don't want to come across as being some kind of clergy when I, when I meet somebody. Because a lot of times if I say, you know, I work for a church, um, people tend to clam up. So I, I, I have a little insecurity from that. But you never know how that person is going to respond. You never know if that person might be a Christian or, you know, their parents are Christians. You might, they might dislike Christians, but whatever it might be, I'm saying all these different examples, but the bottom line is you never know how people are going to respond to truth. Definitely not in Jonah chapter three. We did not expect this to happen. We did not expect a group of people who are evil, vile, very, very scary people to respond the way they do to Jonah's word. Excuse me, God's word. Because people are complex. And I want to kind of take this away from the faith perspective because this isn't just a problem of faith. This is a problem with just people in general. We have a hard time communicating at all. We have a very hard time communicating as people. I, and I've talked about this over and over again. I probably will until I die. Um, <laughs> communicating is very hard because we often want to write a script for someone, right? We want to write a script for them in our inner dialogue, if you, if you follow what I'm saying. I can have a fight with somebody. I can have an argument with someone in my head and never see that person, right? Oh, I know they're going to say this, or they're going to bring up this point, and we're going to... But the problem is, is that usually those fights and those arguments never actually happen because people are complex. And you never know how they're going to respond to truth. You just, and, and I, now I'll, I'll call myself out here. I have the same problem with my marriage. Sometimes I will not, not communicate something properly that's very obvious because I'm like, oh, I know that Michelle will, will, will respond this way. 
and I get myself in more, you know, it, it, it just, I just should communicate better. <laughs> I should just say things because she is my wife and I should just actually speak. But I have a hard time communicating. Everybody does. There is not a single perfect communicator on this world because people are complex. I will continue to say this because that is one of the only explanations as to why these people respond the way they do. And the thing, it's a little bit comforting though, because nothing has really changed with people. The only thing that has changed is that we have more ways to be passive aggressive to each other, okay, through email and text. Um, I, I'm gonna say it, I hate passive aggressiveness. I think it's sinful, and I think we should stop doing it. I think we should speak more openly because the more that we speak openly, the more that we can actually resolve issues and someone's feelings might get hurt for a minute, but if everybody's speaking truth and everybody's wanting to listen and seek truth, we're going to pursue a new goal in a new way much faster and I think much healthier. Jesus was not passive aggressive, okay? I don't know where we get this example from. Jesus was not passive aggressive. In fact, he was very, very hard on his best friends. But that's because they were his best friends. And he knew how to, co how to communicate with them. And yes, people are complex. And yes, they sometimes didn't understand him. But Jesus was always straightforward. And who knows, if Jonah would have just gone in the first place, maybe this exact same thing would have happened and he wouldn't have had this crazy adventure. Um, but the bottom line is still this, is that people are complex. So that's my first kind of response as to why the people responded the way they did. People are complex. I've said it enough. The second thing, as I kind of just read through and just kept asking myself that question, I thought about a quote from one of my favorite movies. Okay, the movie Catch Me If You Can. Um, it's about a con man. It's a it's a you know real life story, and when this the main character is a boy, he has this conversation with his dad, who's also a con man, and Frank Abagnale Sr. is speaking to Junior, and he asks him the question, "Why do you think the Yankees win all the time?" And Junior's response was, "Because they have Mickey Mantle." And Senior Frank Abagnale Sr. responds, he says, "No." The Yankees win all the time because people are too busy staring at their pinstripes. He's implying that people are too distracted by how good the Yankees look to actually beat them. We all know that, you know, Junior was right. They had Mickey Mantle on their, on their team. Pretty good baseball player. Um, but what Senior was trying to communicate is that people are easily distracted by pretty things or by novelty or by whatever. We're easily distracted. And as I continue to read Jonah and as I peel through this and I ask myself, why did the Ninevites respond the way they did? I realized something. I'm too busy staring at the pinstripes. And I think for a long time, we've taught this book in a certain way that we've taught kids to be staring at those pinstripes as well. And you might've realized I haven't really mentioned Jonah's traveling in the belly of a fish or, or whale because I want to mention it just as much as the book mentions it. 
And the book mentions it only about three times total. But if you think back to your you know, time in Bible class or your time probably as an adult, the first thing you think about is Jonah and the whale. And yes, it's, it's, it's a kind of a big deal, I guess. But if we make the entire book about a whale, we miss out on the entire story. We so badly want to make Jonah about a whale that we miss out on what God is screaming at us through these people and through these pages. God is showing us that he is doing something incredible through a group of people, through a not-so-incredible spokesperson. He is doing something incredible through Jonah that only God can do. Sometimes we want just that novelty thing. Oh, Jonah and the whale, you know. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm not, like, don't hear that. Please don't hear that. But we need to go deeper because we just sometimes want that novelty. We, we want that distraction and we are, excuse me, we want that distraction and we are easily distracted. But what's crazy about this whole thing is that, yes, the novelty is the whale, but the routine I guess, thing, is actually what the Ninevites do here. The not-so-novel aspect is what God is doing through these people. Because this entire thing, this Bible, is about the same story. God intervening, God intervening, God coming closer and closer and closer to people, but people turning the other way. Jonah is showing that, and I don't want to go too deep into that, because next week we're going to go a little bit deeper into that specific uh, detail. But this entire story that we read is about God intervening with creation. And we want to make Jonah about a whale? No, Jonah's about God changing an entire very evil, wicked city and repenting and showing, like we talked about in, 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 um, in week one, and showing his infinite amount of grace that he can dole out on humanity again and again and again. He is relentless but we're distracted by the pinstripes when we should be seeing God's routine ability to redeem and reinvent how he can redeem. It's so, it's so creative. Don't be distracted by what's going on around you to not see what God is doing in and through you and around you. That is why the people repent. It's not because of Jonah. It's not because of his great preaching ability. I would say it's because God broke in and changed a group of people. And for whatever reason, at that time, they had ears to hear and hearts that could be changed. And we know later on, the Ninevites, they changed from this this kind of image that we see in in Jonah. They actually do turn back to their evil ways and they eventually are destroyed. But for this moment... They had ears to hear, and they had hearts that were soft enough to be molded by God, and they repented. And that is not an act of Jonah. That is an act of God. And the funny thing is, is like I said, that is not the novelty, because God shows up every single time. So yes, people are complex. And I think it's kind of a, our job in recognizing God. And the whole thing. Our job is, yes, we need to have those conversations. Yes, we need to speak truth to people. Yes, we need to build relationships and continually, you know, recognizing, yes, people are complex, but I can be 
in and among my community. That is my job. But we also need to recognize that, you know, God is the one doing all the good, using us for good works, preparing us. We talked about in Ephesians, right? Preparing us for good works to do in his name because of his great love. I don't need to get into that again. I could, you know, Ephesians 2, go back and read it. But where is God working with you? Where is God working in your life that you aren't noticing? Start to notice. How? There's a lot of ways. But one of the best ways I've found is just to be quiet. Be still. And start writing. Find out where God is working. And find out where you can be a vehicle for his righteousness in this world. That is how the world changes. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time and I thank you for Jonah. I thank you for, I, I thank you that your grace is not a novelty. That your grace shows up every time. Help us to recognize your grace. Help us to recognize and see openings where we can have those conversations that might be difficult. Um, but God, help us to use those opportunities for your, for your will. God, help us to uh, continue to see your grace, seek it out, and be intentional in how we uh, just pursue you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.